0: Hi everyone, welcome back to yet another episode of Roll for Enterprise, it's episode four in our new season, season two, and uh, we're going into a second year of doing this, of all being locked down, of all being stuck at home, uh, but it is what it is, and at least we all get to hang out and talk. Uh, so welcome everyone, and welcome back to friend of the show and regular co-host at this point, we might as well make it official, Lilac Schoenbeck.
1: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
0: And we wanted to kick off by talking about Intel. So Intel has been in the news for a little while. Uh, They were in the news for the wrong reasons uh, a few months ago when Apple very publicly dropped them in favor of their own developed chips that they were manufacturing with uh, Taiwan Semi. But now they're in the news because they hired over Pat Gelsinger, who, of course, used to be an Intel employee, for very many years, uh, but more recently has been uh, better known for spending time over at VMware. And now he's back, and he says the troubled chip project is recovering. Uh, he also made some jabs at Apple, calling them a lifestyle company, uh, during uh, all hands, which predictably leaked all over the place more or less instantly. And generally, he seems to have a plan to get Intel back to where it was. Now, I'm not a semiconductor analyst. I took enthusiastic part in the Apple versus Intel wars last time around when it was PowerPC versus Intel. <laughs> I'm not sure that I have the mental energy to do a second round. Does anyone else want to take this one and lead us in the discussion?
2: Well, number one, if somebody called me a lifestyle company, I, I don't. I, I wouldn't take that as a, an insult. I, I think that's actually right on message for apple and <laughs> actually a good thing i mean i don't know so i don't know if that insult hit right
0: um, yeah no I'm, I'm not saying that it was an insult that apple should be worried about and slap him down for i'm saying that people worry that it might be hubris uh rem- reminiscent of the palm guy who's saying ah oh, pc guys aren't just going to walk in they're not just going to figure this out uh a couple of weeks before the iphone launched and predictably you know, they walked right in and they figured that all out. Uh, so that that was more or less the background to it.
2: Yeah, yeah, that could be their BlackBerry moment about touchscreen, but right. not, let's not let's not get there. I mean, um it, it, I mean, Intel's been in the news for, I mean, there's starting to be some right reasons, but still, we we don't hear great news. I mean, they're, they're still manufacturing on ten nanometer, um, and the trouble chip project is is all about seven nanometer, and them, them getting to seven. Meanwhile. Everybody else and, and Taiwan Semi, who most of these companies are using, the Apples, the Amazons to manufacture chips are at, at five nanometers. So they're trying to get to seven while everybody's at five, probably going uh, e- even smaller. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's hard to see Intel recovering at this point. Um, also, comedy of errors on, on earnings. And I don't know those of you that follow, but they accidentally released some slides beforehand or someone leaked them. So... Lots of action in, in the stock that shouldn't have been there, so yeah, not a great first uh, earnings call for for the new CEO, but okay, he didn't have the helm last quarter, so let's see how they turn it around. Um, yeah, it's very much still a, a company uh, that's in trouble, and you know, calling Apple a lifestyle company, I mean, who, who would you rather work for? I, I think the best engineers are still going to go to Apple, still going to design chips for Apple. Whereas Intel is not so much a, a desirable destination anymore, so you, you can see that that quality is going to slide off uh, eventually. Um, I, I still think they need to find footing here.
1: I was I was just going to say I feel like somewhere there's an Apple engineer saying, "What part of working at 2 a.m. is a lifestyle company?"
0: <laughs> it's definitely a lifestyle.
1: It is. Yeah. Def-
0: yeah. What what about just the flip what side what of I that? Want.
3: What about the flip side of that, Mike? So <clears throat> let's look at VMware for a second. You lose your COO to Nutanix. You lose one of your CTOs. And now you lose your CEO. Wow. I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> that's three C-level people in three months. That's, that's uh, Maybe that doesn't say anything. Maybe it does. But I think that's uh, that's something to look at as well.
0: Mm, I was just saying, I think uh, VMware might be at an inflection point where a change of leadership is might not be a bad thing, depending on what happens next. Uh, the VM is beginning to be uh, less important as a unit of measure of compute uh, in favor of serverless applications that abstract that away. The idea of SSHing into an operating system instance is something that you know people don't really talk about anymore. It's something that people have seen coming for a while now, but now it's real, now it's really happening. So VMware needs to figure out what it's for, and it won't be the same thing that it used to be about for the last couple of decades. Uh, so the the departures of a bunch of executives who've been very successful in this previous phase may or may not be a problem going forward.
2: I, I think Dominic's right because I've I've seen some of their executives lately giving uh, speeches and talks, and I I walk away like what what is this? Doesn't make any sense to me. What what happened to VMware? But then you start to think about it and. They are pivoting and they're pivoting hard, and and with that, I think it's a bit of um, maybe culture change. Where yeah, a new it's, they're going to usher in a, a new uh, thinking, a new mindset, and, and they're going to. I, I don't think they're going to merge with with Dell anymore. I mean, they're going to be uh, standalone and continue to be standalone. It it seems like so. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a new VMware.
3: And then back to Intel. What about mobile? Mobileye. That's uh, that seems to be in the news a little bit. They had a good uh, good time at CES. So. I think that's, uh, that's something to look at. I mean, they do have some some decent uh, options, but let's face be honest, right? The bulk of their business are their, are their chips. And you're right, Mike, they're struggling there. And who would have thought AMD would come in, you know, what a few years ago, $10 a share, $8 a share. And now what are they, $100 a share? Who would have thought they'd come in and you know and grow like they have and take business share away? And is it really a GPU thing? Do you think that maybe the GPU versus CPU is what got Intel? They take their eye off the ball there. You think it's just purely... A cpu crisis for them I and mean, what what do we think
2: i think it's more than a cpu crisis i mean if you look at the lidar announcement they're they only they said it's only going to come out production 2025 i mean and again hate to go back to apple but you know there's been a lot of news of apple lately because they're putting lidar into some of their uh, camera chips i mean i think even the headphones the uh, super awkward looking ones with the purse have some kind of lidar sensing built in i mean so again they're they're behind it and and yeah they they said for self-driving but you know my favorite company in the world tesla said that they're going to use cameras they won't use lidar maybe they'll go to lidar when lidar gets cheaper and this is part of it but i, I don't know that i i see it yeah I, I think focusing in the wrong place though i i don't i don't think that mobile eye announcement was was as big as people think it'll be long-term. I think Apple's going to eat everybody's lunch here.
0: And this will be a while before self-driving cars have volume to make up for Intel inside (laughs) type situations. Interesting thing for me was, if you think back to reInvent, they had a session right at the tail end of reInvent, I think it was the last day. uh, There was just a grab bag of uh, CPU announcements. It was like the day before Werner's keynote. Uh, and it was all sponsored by Intel, and they had a whole Intel v- film that played before the, the keynote session. And then the guy basically just spent an hour savaging Intel, saying, well, our previous partner couldn't cut it. So we built our own Graviton stuff, and look how much better it is. Uh, so Intel has a little bit lost its grip uh, on that industry because there are these options. And because, again, like we're saying about VMware, the center of gravity has moved to a different place of the stack. People have more options to play around and to change that.
3: Well, I mean, Intel missed the whole AI boat. Let's let's be honest. I mean, ARM with their low power processing, their edge placement. I mean, they just kind of came in and everybody worked off of ARM, and including Apple, and and have done well. And you know, IBM was late to get their uh, their low powered CPU out a couple. I think it was a couple of years ago. They were promising it, promising it. Mike, you touched on this. They were late to get that out. So I mean they've they've missed the boat in a big way, and uh, we all know we've been in organizations where if you miss the boat, you're a little bit late to market in your innovation cycle. You're missing the innovation cycle. It's over. It's lights out. And yeah, I think uh, I think they're paying the price for some of that. I mean, this uh, by the way, guys, this all comes down to power, all of it. Drones, class five autonomous vehicles. Why aren't we there? It's really simple. It's power. It's a power crunch. It's a power crisis. And uh, Intel didn't didn't solve that right away, and and nobody's really taking them seriously now. It just seems as though. Because of that, they're just—they don't have the credibility.
1: I mean, it feels sad that a company that basically typified the innovator's dilemma story, right? They were the poster child for the whole thing with Andy Grove, has been basically unable to repeat that process um, and and look outside themselves to understand what needs to be happening next. And I think that, to some extent, that's that's the challenge for VMware right now. They're now not VMware of Diane Green, but VMware under the auspices of Dell and Dell is a commodity business. And regardless of how independent they are, I imagine that they're being held to the similar side eyes of having friends that are in the laptop game, like across the table from you. Right. And, and that, um, that really changes the, your interest in risk, your interest in looking beyond your walls for the next answer. Um, And, and it makes like, even the, the, even proposing something wacky, Or different or out of band um, becomes more difficult in a context like that in both of these companies.
0: Yeah, because you have the reliable cash flow. And uh, for those of you who don't, I'm just going to undermine myself by advertising another podcast. But uh, there's a podcast called Exponent by Ben Thompson and James Allworth. Uh, James used to work with Clay Christensen, and Ben Thompson had a public feud with Clay Christensen over whether innovators' dilemma applied to the iPhone which is how the two of them ended up meeting and having a podcast together. Uh, and they went into this in the uh, in the context of Intel on a recent episode. So it's uh, well worth listening. It's irregular, but uh, quite information dense, that one.
2: But Lilac's right. I think the Andy Grove Intel, like only the paranoid survived. I mean, they they got comfortable, right? I mean, that's what it ultimately comes down to. I think if you, if you look in, in the whole kind of processor area and one company that people kind of, Gravitate to that are now doing kind of um, yeah they, the the gold standard it's it's Nvidia and them going after ARM I, I think it shows and um, you know the baton's been passed I, I I think and they're not they don't care about this PC market that Intel is yeah they're they like the cash flow of it so yeah I think Nvidia's taken the baton and companies don't last forever and I think Intel's getting to that that point where now it's, it's do or die. Also on the Dell thing, Dell is where all commodity goes to die. I mean, once your product becomes commodity, it's like, Oh, well, here comes a Dell acquisition. um, (laughs) (laughs) That's what what I feel happens. I mean, it's like, Oh, oh, this is commodity. And I think VMware is is pivoting. (laughs) VMware is actually pivoting. I I think um, they they got
3: it right. So So that's a new, that's a new marketing slogan for Dell. There you go, Dell pick up on it. Uh, Dell, yeah, where all where all commodity goes to die.
1: You know, I feel like OpenText is somewhere being like, no, that's us. What are you doing? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. True, true. Bad. Anyway, it's going to be interesting to watch because Intel does still have a ton of assets and again, Ben Thompson, him again, he pointed out there's a sort of geostrategic implication here that we keep talking about Taiwan Semi uh, but that's a little bit of an unstable corner of the world these days and intel on the other hand does have stateside uh, fabs and fabs are not something can stand up in a hurry now tsmc is talking about building their own fab in arizona but a that takes years and b it'll be a previous gen tech by the time it comes online so there could be geostrategic implications and national security driven investments that distort this market it's going to be an interesting one to watch and one last
3: thing we're going to see acquisitions there's no doubt that pat likes his acquisitions, so you know we'll see maybe they can make some acquisitions and uh try to turn this thing around and i'll say one last thing maybe we can have a a show on this but silicon photonics they they promised made some promises about four years ago they didn't deliver i forget what it was called river something but uh, I think all these people have to move into the silicon photonics world rather quickly, and again, they're behind there.
2: Yeah, and uh, you know, I think there will be new fabs, by the way, turning up. Um, you know, where my my company does a lot on, on the automotive side, and there's a lot of automotive uh, assembly lines that are now stopped because they can't get uh, chips. Really, uh, there's a semiconductor shortage and and a shortage mm-hmm. of manufacturing space. And people are actually advocating now that Apple turned down production of some of their products, which, because they, they occupy so much of the capacity, uh, it, it's interesting. It's still a growing area. So yeah, a lot's going to play out, but it's, it's a long-term game. It's, it's, it's going to play out over years, I, I get the feeling.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, what was Who was it who had the definition of bankruptcy? How do you go bankrupt? Uh, first, gradually, then all at once? <laughs> that, that's kind of how this market plays out because you have these multi-year investments and in the, the fab lines and they kind of anchor the market but if those anchors let go then there's not much left and then again we're switching to a very different sort of chip market in which all of these people are using uh contracts uh, manufacturing contract fab lines usually tsmc but there there are others uh, based on ARM stack with their own variations, and it's very different from Intel's all under one roof approach. So things may swing back towards the more integrated approach, or it may end up being different markets. We we will see. Anyway, speaking of different markets, going from the bottom of the stack to the top, from the physical to the virtual, uh, there's a report doing the rounds now comparing the the major cloud platforms. Uh, which was uh, kind of interesting to see. Uh, What was most interesting to see is that the the report compares Google Clouds, AWS, and Azure and finds that the margin is razor thin. And I quote, I'm doing air quotes here, but you can't see it between them so if you have a specific use case maybe you can find an advantage and they did call out for instance uh, Amazon's Graviton 2 processors that, that we mentioned earlier in the context of Intel uh, giving a significant boost for multi-core CPU performance but there are other things that Amazon gives away where the other two have uh, advantages so it's uh, it's interesting to see this in the context also of their market presence because of course, the market presence is very much not uh, razor-thin. Differences; it's a hugely unbalanced in favor of Amazon. Then Microsoft falling rapidly behind, and Google Cloud somewhere in the distance. And so, did any of you have any particular thoughts? Anything jump out at you from uh, from this report?
2: You know, the the margins are razor-thin when you when you look at kind of the comparison. Um, The interesting part, okay, AWS might be better processing power, uh, Azure a little better on the IO side, uh, and overall cost, you know, GCP seems to be, you know, lower cost, which is what you'd expect. I think I've said it in in previous episodes. I mean, everything is pretty similar on each, uh, unless you start to compare a, a specific use case. But what's quite interesting in all of it is, you know, they're not competing with each other. They're, like I- I've said it before, they're still going after what's inside server closets and data centers and trying to pull that into theirs, into their environment. They're not competing with each other because clearly if you're the smallest player like GCP, wouldn't you just price cut the whole thing and, and try to drive people on, on, the, on the dollar value? Because, I mean, there is, this is a comparison, but you're right, Dominic, It's it's razor thin differences. I mean- I I don't know that it makes a difference in so many applications uh, that you're gonna put into the cloud.
1: Surely some of the softer parts of this are gonna matter to you more than these very, very small differences, right? Surely the ease of doing business or the customer support problems or the ability to just make heads or tails of their world um, is going to have some weight in the system. I think sometimes these reports um, tend to be a little reductive down to speeds and feeds, which is by de- by design, but that is far from, uh, particularly in a, in a situation like this where things are so tight, that's far from an ultimate purchase decision.
0: Right, there's that. And Mike said something important, I think, the uh, the different use cases. So depending on the market you're in, if you're Walmart and you don't want to do business with Amazon because you see them as a competitor, And if you're trying to do something very specific in terms of uh, the the particular demands of your workload, then that may drive you down one path. I think this may also be why we're starting to see interest in multi-cloud. Not so much in multi-cloud as in, I spin up VMs here and I spin up VMs there, because as we said in the context of VMware, that's no longer what people are interested in doing. But people buying services which are underpinned by all three of those clouds or one some combination of those clouds so that they can then go and spin up some lambdas if they want to work with lambdas or some of google's uh, machine learning tools which are, are pretty nice or you know whatever it might be that they're trying to do so in that context the fact that they're starting to get pretty fungible is perhaps the natural evolution uh, of the market, that the the point of differentiation is no longer the infrastructure; it's the thing that runs on top of it. And so now these are resources; they're, they're utilities. They have become the utility computing that we were talking about uh, all those many years ago. Lilac. Like
2: if you think like an enterprise IT company, if they are any enterprise IT company that has a large like you know uh, IT footprint, I, I think your desire is to be in at least two of these players, if not all three, so that you open up your options. I think locking yourself into just one could be problematic long-term. I I don't know how you guys feel about that, but it's something that I've been thinking about a little and and potentially you want to be in all three just to have the ability to give your developers and and your, your infrastructure folks the the ability to leverage one feature or the other of, of, of either one. And then cost will, will, will drive some of that, but I think that happens later on, right, uh, in, in the optimization.
1: I entirely agree. Uh, I think the multi-cloud strategy has always been, even you know, a decade ago when we were starting to talk about cloud in earnest, we talked about multi-cloud. And um, I think the piece of that vision that is true is that a hedge and a set of options is very, very good for an IT department of any scale. I think the piece that never came to fruition was this idea that we were going to do some sort of cloud pricing arbitrage and whip our workloads around the universe, um, trying to find and scrap together the the cheapest or most optimized deployment. I think we're much, much more set it and forget it and much, much less um, contracting and shifting um, and changing our, our footprint than we anticipated 10 years ago.
0: Yeah, because data gravity is a thing both in terms of cost and in terms of performance, it's expensive to move data back and forth between different providers.
3: What is the old saying hybrid cloud is an IT initiative, multi cloud is a business imperative
0: exactly so, there
1: we go oh, i thought you were gonna but, go for the old uh speed of a station wagon driving down the highway
0: <laughs> full of tapes exactly no i like but i remember
3: sitting on in the back of those facing the back window you remember those old <laughs> yes. wooden fake wooden ones? Oh,
1: i've yeah. been there been were there you, done that were you cradling a bunch of a bunch of tape because that would really
0: be <laughs> it comes full circuit yeah, <laughs> <awesome. laughs> But this lines up nicely with a conversation I was having with some analysts uh, earlier in the week about uh, FinOps, uh, so financial ops. So this is the idea of financializing uh, IT decisions. And it tallies with uh, you know an SRE, you have the notion of an error budget. We can afford to be offline for so much time in the period, given our SLAs. Uh, and taking that one step further, okay, what is the financial impact of downtime and uh, and using that to assign a price to operations that, that you want to take and converting that into also investments that you make and the return you have on those investments. So it's something that I've been uh, noodling about for a while and eventually it will crystallize somehow in a blog post. But it's interesting to think about it in the context of what happens if multi-cloud becomes a thing that you can do? Not, as we said, drop of a hat, to the cloud brokerage uh, notion, but you can run parts of your workload here and parts of your workload there and take advantage of uh of that arbitrage lilac is uh, the the mba among us <laughs> Do <you have> thoughts?
1: <laughs> i mean i i think i think when we look at any kind of data like this or reports like this uh, maybe because i've crafted so many in my decades of um In tech, Right. There's this have a real strong side eye to how data is pulled out in these reports and how it's presented and what information is considered relevant and what questions are asked. Um, And so
0: lies and lies (laughs) and statistics.
1: (laughs) I am. I'm really. And and as anybody who has ever been on the other on the vendor side of these reports with me will attest. Hi, shout out Forrester. um, I'm a real pain (laughs) in the ass. Um, And so um, to me, I think that's the that's a real piece here that it does feel a little reductive of the overall costs and the business priorities, to Zach's point earlier.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it flattens it. But but that's kind of the, the point. If it is becoming a commodity, a fungible commodity, then it, it's maybe logical to start treating it in this way.
1: Maybe. Yeah. Is it that fungible?
0: Not yet, but it's going that way. I think it's going to have to open up where it becomes, um,
2: I I don't know how to say it, but where anybody could use any component of any any cloud and and piece together something. And you can choose components and they'll work together nicely, which today, I don't think they work together too nicely for a lot of people unless you've Spent a ton of money integrating.
3: But by, by the way, I'm going to give a shout out to Fungible.com. Uh, super deep, great job at Fungible. <laughs> we're, we're not pushing you pretty, deep, but I'm rooting for you uh, out here, buddy.
1: I. I feel like we we haven't achieved that level of um, flexibility between iPhones and Androids. (laughs) Like we can't even get group messaging to work properly where the likes come through appropriately. I I just maybe have a a lower level of confidence in cloud interoperability.
0: Mm, True, true. There's a, a lot of layers in between the clouds and the users. Okay. I mean, the market the market will
2: eventually demand it and they'll have to deliver. I mean, that that's ultimately what's going to happen. And two will deliver, one won't, and then the other one will follow. That's what's ultimately going to happen. And the two that will deliver it are the two that are losing out to the big player. That's typically how, how it should work. But let's see.
0: And then, as we've said before, there's China, uh, which is a completely different market with a whole lot of players that we don't hear about at all in the West. And they may figure out some model over there that works. And suddenly it rolls out and the rest of us just adopt it because it's the right thing to do. And all of this gets left behind. But I will tell
3: you, I I will not take any cloud report coming out of China seriously.
0: No, but equally, you can't ignore it. It's, uh, it's a very fast-moving market. It's a very large market. It's a, uh, the competition is crazy. It's a hot-house environment.
3: No, no. What I mean by that is any stats. I was being a little uh, sarcastic. Oh yeah, no,
0: it's completely obscure. In that
3: we got the fastest, whatever. No, but you are right. It's, it's, a lar- it's a very big market there, and we don't we don't talk about some of those players. And they go beyond you know Alibaba and Baidu and some of the other players. It, it, it does it does run deep. Um, so you have a very good point.
1: And the market is not just the the suppliers, but also the buyers. I think we have such a North American centric view. I'll say North American for the Canadians in the crowd. Um, but Thank you. We no it. problem. Um, but uh, you know we have such a North American centric view of this market and who's buying and who's consuming. When there's plenty of um, of companies on both sides of the transactions around the world that have a different set of priorities and a different perspective on what a Chinese cloud entails and its risks.
2: Typically, what what'll end up happening is Europe. Some European players will adopt it, and then in North America, we'll say like, "Oh, wait a second should we Should we pay attention to that?" And that's typically exactly how it ends up happening. So, uh, it, it'll it'll be in Europe that they'll look at it before uh, anybody in North America. So, yeah, you know, your, your your perspective, Dominic, I bet is completely different than ours. Yeah, uh, just just on what we see in here.
0: Yeah, it's it's starting to happen already. And as we said, in the context of social media, America is now starting to get the experience that Europe has had all along of an internet that's made up of providers that aren't based here, aren't subject to our laws, aren't dominated by our market forces. And now that Chinese operators are trying to make a move into the North American market, it's it's going to be very different. And I think... European legislators are talking to US legislators. I don't see too many US corporate leaders talking to European corporate leaders to figure out what's going on, but maybe that's happening You know, above my level, above my pay grade.
1: It's at Davos.
0: Yeah, it's a Davos <laughs> conversation. <laughs> All right. Okay, so we're getting to the end. So let's do some recommendations. Uh, I'm always into gear sports and in lockdown, Over this past year, I've been doing a whole lot more housework than I've been doing for quite a long time before that. So, of course, I figured out how to turn housework into a gear sport. So I can recommend the Shark Handheld Vacuum Cleaner. There's a whole family of Shark vacuum cleaners. I got the handheld one because my previous handheld died. Uh, This thing is amazing. It is just so good at hoovering stuff up, uh, to use another brand name. And it's got these interchangeable lithium-ion batteries that last forever. And it actually looks decent. You don't want to hide it away. It looks uh, pretty decent standing out on the kitchen counter. So, Shark Vacuum Cleaners, take a look at those. And make your housework go a little bit better. Anyone else have good recommendations for this week? We want to hear about your monitor
2: um, journey, Dominic. (laughs) We, We want a monitor update. That's what we want.
0: It's paused. It's paused because I'd pretty much settled on big curved 34 inch panel and I'd found one that I liked that had everything and I was just about to pull the trigger and then this tweet came out saying oh no maybe Apple really will finally release a monitor that doesn't cost umpteen bazillion dollars. I was like, oh no back to the drawing board. So I'll give them another few months to see if this thing really does appear if it turns out to be a, a false rumor and then figure out what to do. But yeah, every day I look at this thing because it's, for the for the readers, for the for the readers, for the listeners, what I have is a, my main monitor is an HD panel, and it's sitting between the Retina panel on the MacBook Pro and a 4K panel that I got from work as my, you know, lockdown equip your office uh, type thing. And so it really suffers from that. The pixels look as if they're as big as my head. It's half as bright as the other two. Uh, it's...
1: You, just you're playing Frogger ride. on it. <laughs> <Like it's> just-
0: <laughs> it would be perfect. You know what it would be great for? Your game of life. I could see all my <laughs> glider guns and everything. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right, well, uh, well, Apple has to release then that the monitor soon because me and Zach have a bet on when you're going to pull the trigger and, uh, you know, pay, payday is coming. So there's an over and under and, and, and we have, yeah, so we, we won't share it, not, not to make mm-hmm. you influence, but yeah, there, there's some money riding on this one.
0: So, well, yeah. you, you missed the first window because it's my birthday next week and uh, I haven't bought one for my birthday. So well, we'll see there's not an obvious next deadline after that. Okay, okay you know i'm going to be sending him a bunch of links you know that,
3: right? <laughs> no you're influencing yeah you're cheating you're cheating <laughs> no bets are off bets are off uh I, I you know i have a recommendation this one's for you mike this is a zero ice cooler this is requires zero ice it cools anywhere between negative four and 68 degrees fahrenheit touch screen controller powered by a battery Anybody who's going to the beach or has, even even if you have a Yeti, I have a Yeti. I go to the beach and it keeps the ice eh, 90% there still, but it's still a hassle. Got to go out and get ice and do all this stuff. No need to do that here. Plug it in. Zero ice cooler. The link will be in the uh, podcast notes. Mike, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Basically, you're bringing around the mini-fridge, and you're calling it a cooler, but it's a battery-powered mini-fridge, which I don't understand why you would lug around a mini-fridge, but okay, Zach, you're, at least your stuff's cold. Come old. on,
3: you bought a solar, you're not going to buy this mic? What are you doing? No, it, no You, no, you I, buy I, everything I, else? I, you, the solar like, You, you buy everything off that. the... <laughs> You buy everything off of the new QVC called Instagram. Every time I talk oh, to you, you're oh shopping man. on QVC Instagram. Come on! Oh man, you know you know what I did. Uh, my last
2: Instagram purchase was a Loom Cube, like it's a, a light for video conferencing. Man, it's it's been a bit disappointing. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not gonna I, I'm not gonna recommend anything from Instagram for a while. So I, I, I won't hit that buy button too fast. Yeah. Gosh, Instagram's so good at,
0: at selling us stuff. So let's see. Yeah. I'm so glad I'm not on Instagram.
2: Oh, you're missing out. What? Well, yeah, you're, you're
0: missing out. You know? No, I already have poor impulse control. How would Instagram oh my gosh.
3: Well, you know, it's we talk about Instagram, but I have to tell you, it's I look at stuff and I'm like, yeah, I think I want to buy that. They they are doing something right. I don't know why, but they are selling some stuff. They're like the new uh, Amazon for social.
2: Like after a hundred years, who knew that they could have like innovate in socks and undershirts and underwear? I mean, that's that's what Instagram's teaching me. So yeah, let's see.
3: Spoken spoken like a true dad at Christmas. Socks, <laughs> yeah. underwear, you got yeah. it. This is yeah. There you go. Uh,
1: I, I'm gonna put in a plug for something that I didn't realize I could do, and that I learned in the last week, which is you can actually make. Trello into a hot mess to-do list, if that's what would bring you joy in your soul. And all this time I was really resistant to Trello um, because it was so organized and I am not. And my to-do list in its native form exists on a piece of paper with a lot of scratches through it and little pictures and some bullets and some numbers and some letters. And I thought there is no way I can make this feel organic and true to my soul in such a structured, beautiful, boxed scheme and lo and behold I've managed to turn it into a hot mess that feels really really comfortable and good for me by including pictures inside the headings and by organizing things according to nonsensical categories that work only for me Um, and I just have to say this has been life-changing for me for this week and I managed to put in a background picture of sheep on a hill which is basically everything I need to look at all day.
2: I, I, I have a feeling that I would look at your Trello boards and think to myself, this is the product of
1: a sick mind, but I'll, I'll leave that opinion. <laughs> you probably yeah. would. And I would feel uh, like yeah, it was really yeah. reflected of who I truly am.
3: <laughs> so, this is interesting to me. This is really interesting. I need something like this. So would I just go with the free version or do you have like a business or enterprise we license? We have
1: a business license, but you can go with the free version. I'm not sure whether you get sheep in the background for free. Um, but there is a variety of, of things you can do to, to make it. And I, I the, the free one works perfectly well. Um, it just, I think, removing the, the framing of a Kanban board and the way that people properly use them <laughs> has allowed mm. me to truly feel like this could be a destination for me. <laughs>
0: I might might have questions for you. You We're going to need to revisit this one because I also have many questions. I always have the same problem with to-do lists that I have with mind Mm -hmm. maps. I end up spending more time futzing with the tool than actually using it. Mm. And periodically, I try one of these things every few months. And realize I wasted a a bunch of time, throw it out and start again with a whiteboard and a piece of paper.
1: Right. (laughs) So I finally had to solve for that. Right. Because I I collaborate with a lot of people and I manage my list and I'm walking around the house and I like the number of pieces of paper in my life has dropped significantly. And so I need to um, anyway, this worked. I'm happy to discuss it and even sort of obscure some of the garbage and show you guys the hideousness of it.
2: Uh, at the end of the day, though, it is a Kanban board, right? Just, yes. I guess they're doing... yes. Okay.
1: But, okay. but you shouldn't feel bound by those confines of a Kanban board and the true way in which somebody who could truly project manage would do it.
0: Because you're <laughs> not working on a car assembly line.
1: That's right. Set it free. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay. okay. Well, I've, I'm enjoying my whiteboard, but uh, it's true that once I start leaving the office and I'm no longer within arm's reach of it, I'll need something else to work with. So in anticipation of that happy day, uh, let's uh, look at these other tools. Um, but with that, I'd say let's close it out for the week. Uh, for the listeners, please send us your tips about to-do management systems, mind mapping, whiteboards, or ice coolers, for that matter. Uh, you can send them to us on Twitter, at Roll4, with a number 4, Enterprise, or on our LinkedIn page. Both of those are linked in the show notes. Or if you have any guests that you want to recommend for future interview episodes like we did last week with uh, Vincent from Clue, uh, those are also always very welcome. But otherwise, we will talk to you again next week. Thanks a lot, everybody. Have a great one. Thank you. Thank you.